Hi, welcome to Not Another Marketing Podcast, where I'm talking to Brianna Haig, who's Head of Demand Generation at Hopin. So we're talking about hybrid events, what they are, and why you should be running some. Thanks for downloading. Now, virtual events are still happening, even though we're heading back to in-real-life events. And the big trend at the moment seems to be kind of like a hybrid in-real-life mishmash, which gives us the best of both worlds. So in this episode, I'm talking to Brianna Haig, formerly of Eventbrite and the third marketing hire at Hopin. She's now head of demand generation. And we're going to talk about what hybrid events are, the best practice for running them, how they can be more accessible to folk and kind of open up the world to your event. Now, you can find Brianna on LinkedIn and Twitter and hop in on their website, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the whole pack of cards there. Uh, There's links in the show notes. Uh, There's also a link to the Hopping Guide to Best-in-Class Hybrid Events, which is a must-read if you're going to be running some. Can I quickly mention that Not Another Marketing Podcast is ad-free? Love it if you could give the pod a shout on social media. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app. You can find more episodes at jtid.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Uh, Can I quickly invite you as well to Not Another Facebook Marketing Group? Yeah. Uh, Lots of news about new episodes of the podcast and also lots of marketing help as well. Now, the first thing I asked Brianna was if virtual events were still popular, even though we're kind of heading back to in real life events now. Yeah, that's a great question that I think everyone's asking. I think what's really interesting, as excited as everyone is to return back to meeting and gathering in person, Hmm. um, digital events are here to stay. And I think what's really interesting is seeing when people make the choice to do something online and have a virtual experience versus doing something in person. And I think what what we're finding is it it kind of requires a mix of both, depending on where your audience is and how you want to engage with them. Did did COVID kind of like really push the technology on for, for virtual events? Did it really take a fast leap? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's it's crazy because I think virtual events were something that were um, we were starting to see as a trend. It was gaining momentum, albeit slowly. Um, I remember prior to my role at Hopin, I was making the decision for my team when I led a global mar- field marketing and events org, whether or not we were going to make our summit virtual because we had heard a couple other companies had done a virtual event and we weren't re- quite sure if we were ready for that. And it was kind of like a handful of pioneers that were, um, you yeah. know, finding value and doing things online. But we all kind of got thrown into this situation overnight where we all had to gather virtually. And it was really interesting seeing how that acceleration and a trend that was kind of starting to form and gain momentum. Um, completely changed the way that we do things. And we all found ourselves in the situation where events teams were having to train themselves on all of the different operational nuances that are involved with a virtual event that are completely different from when you're doing something in person and learn new skill sets that their teams didn't have before. And it was just really interesting how, um, because of everything that happened Mm. in the world, everyone just got thrown into it overnight. Yeah, because sort of pre-COVID, my experiences with virtual events was that they were a little bit flaky in a way. They're a little bit, yeah. you know, in a in real life event, there's more buy-in, isn't there? You have to buy a plane ticket, you have to buy like a hotel room, you have to eat and, and all these things. Virtual events, you kind of like don't have to do any of that. So I found it myself a, a little more flaky that you could put on a, a virtual event 
a thousand people could say we're coming and a hundred turn up, right? Yeah, I think that I think that with um, the virtual events that we saw prior to 2020, mm. a lot of event marketers would um, organize webinars, and that was kind of a yeah. part of their demand gen strategy. You have a webinar once a month, and this is how you know you invite people, and this is what you'll see in terms of the return based off of how many come. Um, I think what what's interesting and different about virtual events now is it doesn't have to just be a webinar. You could sure. have a conference, you could have a summit, you could have um, an experience where people connect in an authentic way that's different than just a meeting or listening in and being kind of like a passive observer of content that's being shared. There's a lot of different flavors and it's not one size fits all. There's so many different ways that people um, are orchestrating their digital events now, but you mentioned the flakiness and, um, you know, I think that, you know, one of the things that event marketers obsess over when it comes to hosting an event is how do you get people to register? How do you get that volume yeah. that you're looking for? And then also how do you get people to show up? Yeah. And there's, there's a difference because I mean, webinar, I mean, we, we all got webinared out really, didn't we? I mean, if I, you yeah. don't want to see another webinar, you really don't, do you? And, it, and if a virtual <laughs> event is going to be 12 hours of webinars, it's like, oh, no, please. Um, yeah. It, 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 do you think it's forced us to be a little bit more creative with how we think about virtual events? A hundred percent. I think the big key piece of it is engagement and mm. how you're engaging with your audience because the way that you uh, think through the – well, the entire flow of your event, the experience when someone shows up. So if you're if you're in person, you think about, you know, entry management and check in and, um, you know, how to make sure people know where to go and all of those yeah. little nuances for a virtual event. It's it's similar in a different way where you want to think about the attendee experience when they show up. And, you know, I always say those first kind of three minutes of your event are really important to bring the energy and kind of, you know, make people feel welcome. And we, for our events, we will oftentimes kick off a big event with a DJ or sure. some sort of entertainment just to kind of bring, bring the energy level, which I think is really great. Um, and it just, you, you have to think really creatively when it comes to the moments that you're creating for your attendees, just to make sure that it's not something where they lose interest or you lose them to another tab on their screen. If you yeah. want people to really truly be interested and engaged, you want to think through all of the moments starting from the very first second that they, you know, quote unquote, arrive at the event and, um, you know, what that what that experience looks like. And something something that I think that we have found with our customers that use our platform at Hopin, as well as our own team that uses um, Hopin for our own events is, what are all of the engagement tactics? How are you, um, you know, staffing the chat and making sure that people, you know, are getting their questions answered? And, you know, the, the chat, it's it's so simple, but it's such a great engagement tool sure. with liking responses and posting gifts and, yeah. um, you know, engaging with your audience that way. But it's it, it can also be much more than just a chat function. You can engage with your audience in a lot of different ways. Um, and I think that, you know, having the tools to do that the technology that's available now to event organizers when it comes to how they engage online is so much more advanced than it was, you know, a few years ago when people were just kind of doing, you know, virtual meetings and hosting yeah. their webinar programs. Yeah, yeah. So if you've got a DJ on and he's doing a bit of a DJ set to kind of like welcome you to the event or start the event or something, and does the, yeah. the person actually see the DJ doing it? Have you? Is it like 
you're putting on a show for them. Yeah, yeah. We used to we used to say put on a show, not not, not um, you know a webinar. I think yeah. was what we were saying. But yeah, well, that that's kind of how we think about it. We have um, this one DJ that we've used for a few events. Her name's DJ Asha. We actually got. Um, she was someone that was referred by a contact that we had at Box, and Box actually used her for a lot of their in-person events and then online events when yeah. they were doing everything virtually. And she DJed a couple of our events just to kick things off and set the energy. And um, it was great because she, you know, there, there's the video on the stage of DJ Asha, you know, super into it, yeah, having yeah. having this really great music that she's playing and the chat's firing up and people are saying that they're dancing in their seats. and. <laughs> <laughs> It yeah. just that's the kind of like special moment that I think can be so cool that you actually can create with the tools available for yeah. an event that you're putting together. Yeah, I suppose you you got to kind of like present it in a way cuz the, the one thing which went through my mind was like this empty dance floor with like a DJ yeah. at the end. <laughs> and it's <laughs> and it's like that that would be the worst thing ever, but if you're actually showing the DJ doing the stuff, that would yeah. that, that's more of an event, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we even for for our company, All Hands, which are once a week, every Friday, and um, <laughs> for we have a global team, our employees are in 42 countries. Sure. So um, for, for those in the UK, where, where you are, it's, you know, a 5pm meeting on a Friday for me being on the West Coast in California, it's a 7am meeting every Friday. Yeah. Um, but they always our, our internal events team always really brings the energy and puts a lot of thought into what song the meeting opens up with. And so they play a song, you know, people are in the chat saying, wow, this is such a great way to start my day or end my day. And it's just, it's kind of a nice way to start and kick things off that kind of gives people that really great feeling of, wow, I'm really excited to be here. I'm looking forward to, to what we're going to be um, covering. Sure. Do you see hybrid events becoming more popular? A little bit of little bit of both, so that you've got an in real life thing happening, right, with people there, and then you've got something else happening virtually online. Yes, hybrid events. It's something that everyone's talking about right now, and it's really interesting seeing all of the different flavors that mm. come out of the the idea of a hybrid event. Um, you know, if you're if you're gathering people digitally to interact in an online environment and pairing that with an in-person component, you really are thinking about two completely different event experiences that happen to be happening at the same time. And it makes it challenging because, you know, you have to think of all of the nuances that exist with when someone's on site in person at the event versus when they're online and interacting with people through that forum. And we actually did, we hosted our own hybrid event, um, in July of 2021. And we found ourselves, our marketing team, you know, all of the challenges that exist within it, and we're able to kind of give um, examples and, and things that we found to be effective for when we were hosting our own hybrid event for our customers. And our customers are definitely starting to, to host more hybrid experiences as well. Um, you really have to think about the team that is, you know, supporting the in-person event versus the team that you have that is, you know, really focused on the online experience and those yeah. that are joining you virtually. Um, and I think that it, it is it is important to make sure that you really think through 
you know, how you budget for both experiences and what what kind of staffing needs would exist for both experiences and, and really truly think of it as two events that are happening, although tied together, certainly, yeah. um, you know, how you're thinking about both audiences. So, so you do, do you find the hybrid events to tend to run concurrently? W- w- yeah. with real life and, and say so, I suppose it, it helps with accessibility to an event as well doesn't it in a way it does it does I think that accessibility I mean accessibility is something that is also a really hot topic right now how do yeah. you make your event more accessible and what does accessibility look like online and how is that different from the considerations that you should have when you know you're designing your event that's in person um something that I think is so cool about digital events and now hybrid events is you have this global accessibility just by the mere fact that people can join you from all around the world, even if they're unable to get to you in person. And another another thing that that is really interesting when it comes to um, the accessibility that exists with digital events is the tools that event organizers now have to translate languages, have, mm. um, you know, to take, take certain considerations into account to make give give your give the opportunity of more people joining your event and in enjoying the experience that might not have been able to otherwise um and we have so there's certain things that we have built into our product that uh, fall under the category of accessibility so for example anyone that uses the hop in platform for their events they can use closed captioning um so someone that's you know if, if they're not able to hear you know what's being said they can see and read on the screen the captions that are um, translated real time. We also have integration partners that translate for different languages. And we actually had an event recently ourselves where we had five different languages translated. It was through Kudo. Um, and they also did American Sign Language, which was really right, cool. That's cool. So yeah. having, yeah, so having having those types of things included yeah. when you think about your event and your audience and where they're located and what types of things could really, you know, um, bring together an even more diverse group that, you know, wouldn't be able to access it otherwise if you didn't take these things into account, I just think is so cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think it it, it also helps with social mobility as well, because, you know, for some folks in some countries, a hotel, a flight in a hotel to New York or San Francisco or somewhere like that, you just can't do it. It's just, yeah. you know, it could be a month's salary. Um, to, to, yeah. to, you know, or, it, or you have a family that you're taking care of yeah. and the date doesn't work out with that schedule, but you're actually able to attend and participate in an event yeah. in a way that you wouldn't be otherwise because you can join online. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's one one big positive myself, to be honest, with, with, with all of this. Um, when we're kind of planning our virtual events or our hybrid events, whatever it is we're doing. Do you think we need to be realistic about how much work is involved? Because I've spoken to some people who seem to think a virtual event is the easy option, right? <laughs> I, some some might say that. It depends yeah. what kind of virtual event they're organizing, maybe. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I mean, I mean, um, there's no food. You're not, you're not going to prep a buffet, have you? That's true. There's no food, so you don't have to worry about that. I think that um, it, it is interesting thinking about the considerations that you have to take into account when you're doing something in person versus online and the skill sets and the things that keep you up at night might be, you know, completely different. Um, I think I think all event organizers that, you know, have really great experiences they put together, they care about the, um, you know, outcome and the output of their events. I think that there's a lot of different things that can be stressors. It can be a very stressful job because you want to have a great experience. You want to see results after. There's a lot of things that you need to take into account and plan for and think think ahead of and problem solve. Um, 
but I do, I do think that when you're organizing a virtual event, it's just a different set of problems. It's a different set of mm. things that you really want to, you know, obsess over that are separate from the food and the things that you would do in person. Yeah. Um, something that's something that's so cool about where technology is now when it comes to event organizers having the opportunity to create emotional experiences and really awesome, um, you know, moments for their communities online is the power of video. You find that there's, there's just so many cool things that you can do through video and people, um, one of our clients actually with Girl Scouts, she had mentioned on a panel that we had had about a year ago, how she didn't know um, what RTMP meant <laughs> before the pandemic, yeah. but then all of a sudden she's an expert at streaming and she knows how to you know, do live streaming for her events and her whole team knows how to do it. And it's just a skill that they've been able to develop that, um, you know, it's, it's unique for an online event versus something that you're, you know, again, doing in person. But um, we, so we actually in 2000, in the beginning of 2021, so it was, it was January of 21, mm-hmm. We announced a big acquisition for our company, which was acquiring StreamYard, which is a live streaming platform. Right, sure. And yeah, and it's just it's it's one of my favorite products, and it's something that people I know the customers that use StreamYard, um, in addition to Hopin, and then those that also use StreamYard as a standalone. It's one of the products that we have as a part of a suite of products that we offer our customers. It makes it really easy to produce a beautiful broadcast streamed event. And, you know, you can have custom branding and, it, you know, there's a backstage and there's things that you can do to, you know, ensure that you're kind of set up for a success, for success, even if you don't have a production back background. And I love the accessibility that that allows for event organizers to have a really well-produced event online through the video tool that is able to enable them to do that, even if they don't have a background in video production. Um, because the things that the things that you have to think through when it comes to the preparation for your event and the execution of your event to make sure everything goes really seamlessly, it's just different than in person. So you're not worried about the food, but you're worried about, you know, the stream being reliable yeah. and having a really great experience in terms of the video capture for the for the attendees. Yeah, I suppose on the technology front, the last thing you want if you've got 200 people is, is coming in is, is kind of like having to say 200 times, click the little microphone icon at the top and accept permissions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're on mute. <laughs> Those are yeah. the things that you think about. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think about because I remember before the pandemic, I, every time I did a meeting or a webinar or anything, it's click the little video thing at the top. Click it. Permissions. Yeah. You don't have to do that anymore because everybody knows about it, don't they? Yeah. You want to you make things as easy as possible for everyone involved, your speakers, your attendees. Um, and so the, the, the platform and the experience that you're hosting it on is really important and making sure that everyone knows how to use it too. So we actually, yeah. we usually... Um, encourage our organizers to use a certain browser and make sure that they turn off their notifications or remind their speakers to do so. There's little nuances that you just want to think about that are more important for when you're doing something online. If there was one thing that people forget, what do you think it is? One thing that people Put forget. you on the spot um, now. Yeah. <laughs> if you think... I think that... Mm. <laughs> I think that it's important to think about signage for your event online right. in a different way than you would in person. So sure. we we call this wayfinding and there's a couple different ways that you can kind of explain it, but I think the best way to explain it is when you're at an in-person event, 
you think about, you know, how are guests going to know where to find the restroom and how yeah. will people know, you know, where to find the food during the networking break? Yeah. Oh, let's let's put a sign right here. Let's make sure that people know this is the check-in area where you get your badge scanned and make sure it's very easy for people to look around and be able to figure out where to go. That way they don't just have to ask everyone these questions. Um, I think about that. I think that that's a really important thing to remember when you're also engaging with an online event. Sure. If you have, if you have an online event with you know thousands of people that are coming, you have this virtual event venue that you've created, and maybe you have like a keynote presentation that's on the main stage, and then there's breakout sessions where you get the choice of which you know panel you're going to attend, and then there's a networking portion, and then you might check out the expo hall. You have the agenda that's published and that tells people where they can go. But I think you need to really think about taking it a step further and making sure that you think about signage when it comes to all of the places that people are going to be looking when they're at the event to find out where to go next. So we always think about, you know, if we are done with the panel conversation that's on the main stage, we'll put a, a fun little animated video that just tells people now it's time for networking and exploring the expo hall with like yeah. an arrow to the left-hand navigation bar that tells you where to go. Um, we always think about things like that. And then it's also little nuances like posting something in the chat and maybe pinning it to the top. So people know that, you know, this is the time that everyone's going to the breakout rooms and you can click here to get there. You know, if you're confused, this is where you go. And I think that that type of, you know, quote unquote signage or, you know, way, mm. wayfinding messaging can be really important to make sure your attendees have a smooth experience. I think it's a good idea to pick like a host for your virtual event where everybody can pester yes. them and say, where, what have we got to do now? Yeah, yeah. Have some have someone that's staffed to answer questions. Yeah. You know, if you have if you have a couple people, sometimes depending, I think it does depend on the size and the volume of your audience, because the way that we think of staffing and hosting and and answering questions for a 10,000 person event is very different than sure. if we're expecting 150 people to join yeah, us. Yeah, of course. Because um, if, it's, if it's a few hundred people, if it's a couple hundred people, you probably have one or two people that are manning the chat and answering questions and making sure everyone knows where to go. But if it's more than that, you might need um, a support booth in your expo hall where people can go and ask questions if their browser isn't working or they're having some trouble with the audio. You can have someone that's you know, suited to answer any questions that they have that are technical, you know, versus whatever other things that you think might come up. Yeah. Uh, do you see folks recording their virtual events and, and putting them up as like a watch it later service in that, especially, I suppose, if you've got lots of speakers? Yes, yes. I love the value that event organizers can find post-event in terms of the return on their investment when mm. they leverage the recordings and the content and all of the really great things that everyone experienced when they attended. Um, we love sending out, so, you know, we, we talked about the people that show versus the people that don't make it. And yeah. um, we always follow up specifically with the people who attended with a link to the recording. So if they want to watch it again, or if they want to share it with anyone on their team, they have access to it right away. We also love following up with anyone that had registered but wasn't able to make it with the recording so they don't miss out. So something came up, which completely happens and we completely understand. Here's where you can find the recordings to watch it after the fact. In addition to following up with anyone that had registered for an event with the content, I think it's also really important to think through what are all of the other ways that you can leverage the awesome content that you put together, the great speakers that had really great things to say, 
in all of the different channels that you have access to post events. So one thing that we always do for our events is we work with our social media manager, Mike, who's on our brand team. He'll mm -hmm he'll look at the recording and he'll take out some of the really interesting quotes from certain speakers. And we always, you know, you have to get approval from the speakers and make yeah, sure yeah. that, you know, everyone um, is cool with you sharing the recordings after the fact, um, you know, outside the context of the event or, you know, sharing on social media, sure. but he'll, he'll pick a couple cool quotes that what kind of really resonated and, you know, maybe make an image or do a, a, a short snippet that features the quote that was shared and then we'll post that on LinkedIn and our Twitter handle and share it with our audience through those um, through those channels. And I think that, you know, we, we always think about, you know, what's the return on the investment for our event? And then how can we continue to leverage that content well beyond it? Um, I think that one bottleneck that event marketers can really relate to is once your event ends, assuming it went perfectly and everyone had a great time yeah, and, yeah. you know, people are so excited, you know, after the event to get their hands on the recording. One of the bottlenecks that I know can be frustrating is you want to follow up with everyone immediately, but it takes a little bit of time to get your recording ready to send out to everyone. Sure. So, you know, you have to download it, you might have to edit it, then you yeah. have to upload it to, you know, YouTube or whatever channel that you're using to publish it. Um, something that I love is we have a new feature that we just released a couple months ago called hop and replay. And cool. it's actually, yeah, it's, it's, it's so cool. And I, the reason I love it is just because this is a, a pain point that I've found myself when, you know, you're relying on someone else or you're having to do it yourself to download and upload and whatever. Um, we now have the ability for event organizers through hop in to just go in immediately after the event ends and you have access to your recordings that you can trim down however you want um, and then publish it immediately for your attendees to access. So right. they'll be able to see, you know, right when your event ends, you know, you take some time to just, you know, edit maybe the beginning and the end and, and get it down to, yeah. you know, the, the part where that you want to share, you publish it and people can access it right away, which is so great because you can follow up immediately and say, hey, you know, thanks for joining or sorry, we missed you. Here are the recordings. Yeah, and I suppose that helps with folks in different time zones, doesn't it? Because it could be live at nine in the morning and that could be 3 a.m. for somebody. Yeah, yeah. We we have a global, um, I mentioned our global employees being mm. in 42 countries. We also have a global audience of uh, customers and people that use our products. So we try to, when we host events ourselves, we try to consider as many time zones as we can, but it's just, it's never going to work for everyone. So Unfortunately, if we do, you know, a time that really works for both the West Coast, um, you know, in North America and also, you know, the European mm. audience that we have, it's not going to work for Australia and New Zealand. So, no, of course. Um, yeah. One, yeah. one time, actually, one thing that we did that was interesting was we had an event that worked for, you know, again, most time zones. Um, and then nine hours later, we did an APAC replay where right. we had the recordings that had just happened at the event that was nine hours prior, we we aired it in the same sequence, but then we had a live local panel with some of our customers from Australia, New Zealand, and I, I forget where the, the third one is from. That's cool. That's um, a good idea. But yeah, we were able to, so it was nice because we, yeah, you know, that's nice, that is. we showed yeah. the DJ, we had the, yeah. you know, the other things, the product updates and all that, but then we had a live local panel. And I know that that was really appreciated by that region just because, 
Um, there's no way that they would, you know, be able to attend in the middle of the night when, you know, we had an event that that didn't work for them, but we were able to create an experience that, yeah. you know, threaded through the stuff that we had done earlier, but made it unique to them. Yeah. Now, I suppose the big question, the most important question to ask is, do you see folks putting together virtual swag bags? Because you've got to get it. You've got to get some swag from an event, haven't you? I mean, I go running <laughs> and every T-shirt I run in is from some event somewhere with some weird logo yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the weird logos and the, the, the all the T-shirts <laughs> you get from the events. I love it. Yeah. I love it for running. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, do we get virtual swag bags? You know, we actually have seen um, virtual swag bags. I think there's a couple things that we've seen that are creative when it comes to virtual events. One is actually sending something in the mail to all of your attendees in advance of the event. So, yeah. you know, if you're creating an experience where it makes sense within your budget or, you know, maybe it's a really, you know, highly curated group and, you know, you've decided that based off of this audience that's gathered, you really want to send every single person something tangible that hmm. um, is like is a physical gift bag, but remotely. That's that's something that we've definitely seen happen before for you know certain events and conferences. I think what's interesting and also you know completely different from that is this concept of a virtual event bag where you have some sort of digital swag. We had one one of our um, one of our conference organizers, Smashing Con they did this and they gave attendees a virtual bag that had the event information and, you know, the PDF that had all the information on the agenda and, you know, what to expect. But they also had some interesting, like cool extras, like they had a blank white coloring page for attendees to print out at home and color. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah. And then they also, they had I, another one that I thought was cool is they had digital stickers that attendees could download yeah. and use on Slack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I suppose there's quite a lot when you when you become creative and you start thinking about it. There's quite a lot you can actually actually do, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean another thing that that um, you know we were talking about food earlier and how you don't have to think about food, which can yeah. be a, a stressor yeah. um, in person. But there are you know other ways that you could think about you know giving something to your attendees potentially you know food delivery credits so sure. that could also be another you know incentive to get people to show up so hey you know thanks for registering for the event you know when you attend we'll also give you a credit towards doordash or whatever so you can mm -hmm. enjoy lunch with us and so incentives like that could also be an interesting way to um you know make sure that people attend and show up yeah yeah Fascinating stuff. It'd be interesting to see how it all goes over the next year or two, I suppose, definitely. Um, right, where can we find you, Brianna? Where's where's your website, social media bits and all that? Yes. So hopin.com is our website. Mm -hmm. And you can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, on LinkedIn, we are Hopin Official. It's so it's it's funny you said it, because when you think of when you think of Hopin. I, I must admit, honestly, I probably never heard of it until the pandemic hit. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, it's interesting because we we were founded in 2019, so before the right. pandemic. Right. And, you know, really with the intention of creating a platform where people can engage in an authentic way online yeah. the way that they would in person. And Johnny, Johnny 
Bufarat has an amazing, he's our, our CEO and founder. He has an amazing story about why he created it. Mm -hmm. He was actually because of an illness that he had and he just wanted to connect with people in an authentic way. And that was where the idea and the concept of Hopin was born. But it's, it's fascinating because the launch of the product was actually supposed to be in September of 2020. And because of the demand that, you know, just kind sure. of yeah, ended yeah. up happening overnight, as we yeah. mentioned, um, the early team that, you know, the very, very small early team at Hopin rushed to get the product ready for March 2020 because yeah. there was so much interest and need for conferences to go online. And, um, you know, everyone was looking for a solution. So it yeah. was interesting because Hopin actually was supposed to launch later that year, ended up speeding up, launching in time to meet this demand. And, um, you know, it just, it skyrocketed because truly because of the pandemic. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I joined the marketing team in October of 2020, and there were three of us at the time. Hoppin didn't need marketing for the first few months because yeah. we were just I trying to imagine. keep up. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, there's a lot of little words and phrases. So it's sort of like a, I hadn't really thought much about Zoom before the pandemic. I mean, you know, you didn't really. Yeah. It was all Skype really before then. And then Zoom turned up and then Microsoft Teams is, ah, it just goes on forever. Anyway, what I'll do is I'll put so loads funny. of links in the show notes so folks can just Perfect. tap those. Um, Brianna, thanks ever so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. This is great. Thanks again to Brianna for her time. Don't forget to check out all the links in the show notes. There's lots of them. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe for more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favourite podcast player. Just search for Not Another Marketing Podcast. Thanks for listening.